Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, friends. Hi, ladies. Hello. So when I was six or seven, these words became part of me. Down in a green and shady bed, a modest violet grew. Its stalk was bent, it hung its head, as if to hide from view. And yet it was a lovely flower, its colors bright and fair. It might have graced a rosy bower instead of hiding there. Yet there it was content to bloom, its modest tints arrayed and there diffused its sweet perfume within the silent shade. Then let me to the valley go, this pretty flower to see, that I may also learn to grow in sweet humility. That was a long time ago when those words became a part of me, but that is the first poem I ever memorized. And I still remember it to this day, but poetry, it's a language. It's a language of its own that connects the seen and unseen worlds. It puts words to ideas and emotions that are universal, but uniquely human. I didn't discover a deep love of poetry myself until I was in my 30s. But when I did discover it, I, I think I felt pretty hard. But Wordsworth and Coleridge, Frost, Oliver, Moore, Bishop, Whitman, Eliot, Hopkins, Dickinson, these men and women, they opened up a door to another world that I didn't even know existed. And of course, if you are like me as a mom and homeschooler, any door I walk through, I want to walk through that door with my family. So from the time that my, my little people were young, poetry became a part of our lives as it is a universal language that bridges generations. So today we're going to share a conversation about why we need poetry in our lives and what it does for us and kind of just how to go about it all. Maybe you are a poetry lover already and you have a great and deep understanding of what T.S. Eliot is all about. Or maybe like me, you're newer to poetry and you've um, fallen in love with it, but you're just kind of figuring out things as you go along. So 
let's jump into that. Um, so our first question was, let's start at the beginning of why, why poetry? Why do we need poetry in our lives and what does it do for us? Anyone want to jump in on that? Sure, I will. Um, I think poetry is important because it's, and I know this is so obvious, it's different than prose, right? So it speaks, I feel like it speaks to a different part of our brains. It engages our mind in a different way and it uses language in a different way. So poetry is wonderful for just expanding our love of language. And so I'm going to throw in another plug. You've got to read it out loud and you've got to hear poetry. So when you share poems with your kids, or even if you're by yourself and you read it out loud, you're hearing the words and the rhymes and the figures of speech and, and the way the sounds blend together and the way the sounds themselves even communicate a truth or an idea apart from the words. And it's beautiful. Um, and we just don't always get that when we read a beautifully written sentence. So it's musical. We need it. And I, I would add that I think one of the reasons I love poetry and why I think it's important is that it causes us to see a very common thing with fresh eyes through the words that the poet has used and the image that he or she is expressing. Um, like, for example, the poem that you wrote, Emily, about a small flower in a field with a, you know, head humbly um, bent over. The stalk isn't straight up, but there's so much beauty there and all that that can tell us. And yet how often would we pass a single flower and not look at it? So it shows how much um, wonder and beauty there is in the whole wide world around us in the things that God made and in the things that we make, like, you know, people writing a poem about um, laundry flapping on a line or um, a cake bread rising in the oven, something like that. How the everyday becomes holy in those moments. Well, just like other genres of literature, there's a vast variety, very vast variety of poetry. There's all different sorts of poetry. So what one person loves, another person may not, just as it's true with all of the classics. Um, but I'm thinking of the quote that says, uh, wonder is the beginning of wisdom. And there is so much, I'll use this word, I'm, I'm gonna split this word. There's so much wonderful, so much that is full of wonder in poetry, whether it is the common everyday things, or you know when you read that poem and you, the first time you read it, you think, no idea. I have not a single idea what that poem is about, but it's so beautiful um, that you capture, unlike prose, poetry captures something in you that somehow, even if you didn't know what the poem was saying, it somehow forms you. You somehow catch the other world. Um, and I think, I think I've mentioned this before. Have any of you read um, Ellen Montgomery's Emily series? So she has like her really famous Anne of Green Gables series. And then she has another like not so famous her Emily series, which my humble opinion is, I think it's a better story. I think it's better written. Emily of New Moon. Yeah, yeah, Emily of New Moon. And yeah. then Emily Climbs. And then there's another one. Yeah. There's three. That's good. Um, it's, it's my favorite that she wrote. But it is a little dark. Um, she's a little bit haunted. But she has this experience, and she's a writer. So she has this experience throughout the book that she calls The Flash. 
And essentially the flesh is like the opening between worlds, right? Like we have this understanding that there's another world out there. There's a, um, the unseen, the spiritual world. Um, and as Christians, we better believe that. If we don't believe that we're in trouble. Um, so that we believe there's this unseen world and there's just those moments. It's just a flash. Just like for one second, you see through the veil. And poets get that. Like they have those experiences and then they share that experience with us. Essentially, they have the seeing through the veil experience in their writing somehow. Poets are remarkable. They share it with us. And there's been a few times that I read a poem and I was like, ah, that's it. Like that's, that's the other world. That's the unseen. I'm seeing through the veil. Um, and as you said, Karen, it's often in just everyday things, which makes you think maybe it's just the everyday things that are that unseen world. That reminds me of Emily Dickinson's poem, Tell the Truth, But Tell It Slant. You know? Okay, do you have that poem? I do. You? Because I do. I that it. is one of my all, like, yeah, very read all it? favorites. Can we read it? Yeah, read it. Tell the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise as lightning to the children eased with explanation kind. The truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. So, you know, like, like you're saying a flash. So like a, like a flash of lightning can frighten a child. And so we kindly explain what lightning is. So if we understood all of truth, it would be too much. We'd be blind looking at it. But a poem gives us just enough to dazzle a little flash like you're talking about in that book. I love that. I do too. And this is like my favorite topic. So I'm like really happy right now. Talking about I do love poetry. And I don't know about y'all. I mean, even to those people listening, like I didn't, I didn't grow up reading poetry. I didn't study poetry in college or anything. It wasn't like this has always just been a love of mine. It really was something that I discovered in my 30s. Um, but probably like so many of you, we have such a longing to see through the veil. We have such a longing for the common things to be holy. And as mamas, um, our lives are pretty common. I mean, we're changing diapers and homeschooling our kids and I don't know, driving kids a million places. Although big news, my son got his driver's license yesterday. Oh. This is a new world. This is a new world for us. Oh, so. that's a little scary, actually. <laughs> I know, I'm terrified. But so he's driven three times and he's fine. He's still alive. This is good. <laughs> Someone send me some encouragement. <laughs> um, <laughs> All will be but is, have you ever, like, do you guys have any stories of that, like reading a poem and you're like, oh, that, like the tell the truth, but tell it slant, you know, like that it was a moment for you. Do you have any, like, I don't have any more like that, but I have, I have memories of being somewhere and then a poem comes to me and I love that. <laughs> Like yeah. a few years ago, Steve and I went to Scotland on this glorious vacation. And someone says Scotland has more sheep than people. And so we were, you know, hiking and looking across this beautiful landscape and there were sheep everywhere. And, and I just thought of William Blake's little lamb who made thee, dost thou know who made thee? Mm -hmm. and, and the lines of that poem came to me and it was just joyful. 
because, you know, I, I didn't set out to memorize Little Lamb. I happened to have taught it, you know, several years in a row when I was teaching my ninth graders, but, you know, you just never know. And those little verbs and phrases and, and lines of poetry pop out at you and, and they just make your life better. <laughs> so um, I, I think it's wonderful. So, yeah, enjoy all kinds of poetry. You just never know when it's going to come bubbling up. Yeah. I remember when I was teaching third grade and I was looking for a new poem and I came across a poem called Velvet Shoes and it's about walking, walking quietly in the snow. And, you know, it says, I'll wear silk and you'll wear wear wool. And it's just a simple poem about going for a walk in the snow. And I thought, "Mm, I really like this, so I'm going to teach it to them. But I didn't really expect a lot because it's a little bit frilly for lack of another word like it's it's not the owl and the pussycat or it's not Robert Frost um but like I I read it and they were silent and they were silent because they had they had sat under the spell of it and they knew exactly what the poet was talking about about walking in the snow we don't get much snow here in North Carolina so we get it it's magical and I just I'll never forget that feeling of I just had an experience with these children it was beautiful and it was about a poem about walking in the snow and it was a joyful moment I probably more for me than for them even but um that's one that comes to mind that's interesting that you would Renee you would say the same in a different context uh Karen, you were in a te- in a teaching setting. You're in this um, kind of like glorious outdoor experience, um, but it's the same evoking of emotion of joy in it. And how often poetry does that? It just evokes these emotions, like really strong emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's grief, I mean, I have cried so many times. I'm not a crier either. Yeah. Just like things don't make me cry, but I have cried so many times over over a poem. Um, but I love that we were going to chat about this in, on the practical side, but Renee, you brought this up and I think it matters of this idea of memorizing poetry and how it's just a part of that experience then and how it is a, it is a universal language. So here you're having this, you know, glorious grand natural world experience. And here's this poem that comes to you um, on the, the grand adventure camping trip that I took with my, the backpacking trip that we got lost on. That was a little bit, it was a grand adventure, but we did get lost and it was at night and it was terrifying. Um, during that, I had brought a poem along for us to memorize on the hike. Um, and it was the poem Blacksmith Shop by Shejla Milos. And I love his poetry. I won't read the whole thing, but it, essentially in the poem, he describes a child's experience in a blacksmith's shop. And it's very visceral, like you feel it. Um, they're, they're burning the, the iron, there's steam coming off of the, um, the bellows. And then the very end says, at the entrance, my bare feet on the dirt floor, here gusts of heat, at my back, white clouds. I stare and stare. It seems I was called for this, to glorify things just because they are. And now I have this connection of, it seems I was called for this, to glorify things just because they are, with getting lost in the woods, camping with my kids, 
but is it has become a beautiful connection of dependence on um, the creator and just the glory of the day, like the glory of the day that you've been given. So I think you do have those experiences through memorization. Um, and just, I know a lot of you mamas already, like you do this, like it's just a part of whether it's a part of your morning time or, or what not. Um, but Renee brought up a really good point when we were chatting about this of like poetry can be kind of scary. You know, this is not like Chronicles of Narnia that you read it and you're like, aha, Aslan is Jesus. And I know what they're talking about in this story. Um, poetry can be hard. So what do you do if maybe poetry is your not, not your first love and you're like, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. It's just kind of hard. Well, I think there's nothing wrong with um, having someone kind of take you by the hand and walk you through understanding a poem. And that's okay. Um, so, for example, um, I mentioned this book when we were talking. Uh, Leland Riken has a book called The Soul and Paraphrase, A Treasury of Classic Devotional Poems. And the poems are, you know, they're not super long. And there's maybe one to two pages of explanation about them. And like I said, it's, it's a devotional reading. So they're Christian classic poems by all kinds of authors. But um, you might say, well, I'm not so sure about poetry, but I love the Lord and I love having a quiet time in the morning. So this is one thing you could add to your quiet time. And then you would have a wonderful scholar kind of explaining some things about the poem. Um, and then, you know, in the same, same vein, I'm going to put in a plug for a great book that Cersei published called 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. And this is an anthology with lots of different people sharing their favorites and giving a, a short explanation of what the poem means to them or what's going on in the poem. So, um, you know, it's okay to have a little help sometimes. But also poetry can just be hard because it's different than prose. They Poets use a different language and they're using words in a different way. And so um, I would say... On the opposite end, if, if the idea of reading an explanation is scary, then just go the other direction and say, you know, I'm just going to read this and then maybe read it out loud a couple of times and whatever I get out of it is wonderful. And that's it. No pressure, no stress. Just read it, enjoy it, put it aside, pick up another one another day. So, you know, poetry is supposed to be fun. And, and if you're a person who got scared off, maybe you were in school and you had someone who was like, you must analyze this and you must tear it apart and we must find all the, the things that were going on in the poem, you know, that there's a, maybe a time and place for that, but probably not at the very beginning of your journey with poetry. <laughs> so give it another chance. That's what I want to say. Give poetry a chance. And don't tear it apart. That's a really good reminder, Renee. Don't tear the poem apart. It was never meant to be torn apart by the author. They didn't write it to be torn apart. Uh, one book that I read that was super helpful in my my poetry loving journey um, was a book called What Makes a Poem. And essentially they walk through all the different forms, whether it's a sonnet or a sestina or elegy or whatever it is. And then they just give a brief, like a really brief explanation of what the form is and then just examples of it in just classic poetry. Like here's an example of sonnets. Here's an example of sestinas. Um, that was really helpful to me because I realized that my understanding of poetry was limited because I didn't understand the form, which is a very classical education thing in that when you understand the form of the thing, you will understand the thing itself more. 
And for those of us who are teaching great books or um, science or math, whatever it is, that's true in all of those things that we teach. When we understand the form correctly, we understand the content and meaning more deeply. So that actually just kind of like opened up a whole new world to me when I was like, oh, they chose to write a sonnet in particular because it is like repeating this idea at the end and they're summing it up in this way. Um, most good poets pick a form on purpose and the form itself says something. So when you get the form, you're like, oh, now I see that like whatever they were trying to communicate um, until you get to some of the modern poets, then who knows? Who knows what they're trying to say? And yeah. And sometimes David Kern did not hear me say that. It's why it's easier to, you need to not just hear it. It's important to hear it. But sometimes when you see what the words look like on the page and where you, where you see where the punctuation is or is not, it helps you understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, the visual helps. And I would say to um, go to a, go online or go to a bookstore and spend some time looking for poets that you particularly like, like there, I just found a brand new poet this winter called Ann Porter. And she lived from 1911 until the eighties. And she was a Catholic, was a Catholic mother who raised five children. Her husband was an artist and she quietly wrote poems for years and years and years and wasn't published till she was very old. And I just, I ordered a book. It's on back, back order thrift books. I can't wait to get it because I read, I read one of her poems and I loved it so much. And I brought it to my book club and read it at Christmas time. It was a Christmas poem. And now I, you know, I, now I can say, oh, I have this other brand new poet that, that I really resonates with me. Her, the things that she writes about are just simple and it, it's, it's beautiful. And so, you know, other poets that I love are Lucy Shaw, Mary Oliver, uh, Wendell Berry, Malcolm Guyton, you know, so and then when you find poets that you love, it, you can just pick up a book. If you have a book by your bed or, or you have a moment or you're nursing your baby and you have a book there, just pick it up and read one. Put it down because that's all you need. You know, it's like, it's like having a treat in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. I really love that you just said that. <laughs> I get treats in the middle of the day. So, you know, G.K. Chesterton wrote beautiful poems. I love his poems. They're easy to understand. They're not, they're not super hard. And um, he's just got such a way with words. So he has some beautiful Christmas poems, Easter poems. So, um, um, you know, if, if you- And it is, so it's easy. Yeah, so you're just like, it's easy. You just pick up the book and read one poem. And um, that was, a, a, I mean, most of the poetry that we have been talking about may be more- um, jumping into poetry, loving yourself, but there's also introducing that to your children as well um, and making that a part of not only their education, but your family, family culture. I mean, we still, to this day, my kids will, um, part of their co-op is they memorize all like so many poems throughout the years. And to this day, they'll bring out little um, snippets or lines of the poetry, like there is no frigate like a book to take us lands away um, or whatever it is. That's just, just like the poem that I memorized when I was five or six, like it is a part of their, the furniture of their mind. Um, do you have like any ideas for poetry with kids? So maybe it's not 
Chesterton or Lucy Shaw, how would you go about maybe not even teaching poetry to your children, but letting it be a part of your family life? One thing is that there are so many great picture books that are poetry turned into picture books, like The Owl and the Pussycat. Um, a Christmas one that I bought this year was In the Bleak Midwinter and was illustrated by Tommy Dave Palo. Oh, Palo, yeah. Yeah, cool. and it's it, it's stunningly beautiful. And it takes this old English hymn and gives it, you know, beautiful pictures and it introduces that to young children who can appreciate the language even though they don't really understand it and love the pictures. Um, and then um, Larissa, my daughter, is reading to her two and four-year-olds at breakfast just a few poems from Beatrix Potter. And there are some of them that they love and they ask them every morning, like a little bird went hop, hop, hop. It's like, it's about eight lines long and they love it because now they've memorized it because they love it so much. And then they find joy in saying it and accomplishment in being able to recite it to us. And it's, it's just very simple. But I think one of the things is that if you as a teacher or a mother can share a joy in it, you know, find a poem that is particularly funny or fun or beautiful and you have joined it, then when you share with them, it's, it's the, inf the infection, you know, it's infectious, shares the joy. Yeah, I used to start my classes out um, every day with, with a poem and just, hey guys, this is one I like and I think you might like it too and I'm going to read it to you and um and then, you know, then we'd go on with the rest of our lesson. So, but it was fun because it was a chance for me to share something I loved with them uh, with zero expectations. You know, I'm not asking you to memorize it, analyze it, anything, just enjoy it. And if you want a copy of, you know, sometimes I would pass out a sheet so they could read along with me. And I'd say, if you want to take it home, you can, you can have it, but you don't have to. So I think you can do the opposite of that too. And that your kids can bring a poem to the table. We literally, yeah. we've done that. We did that for several years. Of We would do a Tuesday poetry tea. And so everyone just would, we just have books of poetry. Like, okay, everyone go get a book of poetry. And just on the spot, you're going to pick one out and read it. And then, you know, I have four kids, so that's five poems. So we read five poems, have a cup of tea, middle of a Tuesday lunch, and, and then that's it. Um, so don't, you know, this is less like, how do you teach poetry? There's like curriculums on how to teach poetry to kids, but think the, the flash, the joy is it is in the commonplace of just inviting that universal language. It's like learning, like, you know, you're, you're going to learn Latin and you're going to learn poetry. It's a language. Um, and what's remarkable to me is how, much more familiar my kids are and or comfortable my kids are with poetry now in their teens than I ever was like they somehow get it I actually I'm at school now and my son who's he's in um 11th grade um he walked by me on break and he was like did you hear us my class arguing in there and I was like no what was going on he was like yeah, we were reading Mending Wall by Robert Frost and we did not agree on it. So apparently they got into this like argument and this was actually in Heidi White's class on what the meaning of Mending Wall was. But I'm going to put it in another speak quick, a language now. Another quick blurb that poetry and, and, and I'm not trying to downplay your idea of a tea, 
that I can, I know there are moms listening to this right now who have boys and think that is the last thing my son is going to want to do is drink tea and talk about poetry. So other end of the spectrum, um, there's a lot of poems about battles, about baseball and football, about flying airplanes. So if you, if you have a son and you want to go, it's out there. You can, you can find a lot of, a lot of great poetry too, that, um, um, is accessible by lots of different kinds of kids. So I'm just believe yeah, that. Like Grace you at the bridge and Paul Revere's ride. And there's, yeah, yeah. there's actually so much like heroic um, the Iliad yeah. and the Odyssey. There you go. No, maybe that's but the Iliad and the Odyssey is not for Tuesday tea. That that's for something else. <laughs> well, um, but there's yeah, there's lovely anthologies. Um, one we love is Nature Poem for Every Day of the Year. There's also a Nature Poem for Every Night of the Year. Um, a really really beautiful one if you have little people, um, like probably sixth grade and under. Um, there's a lovely anthology called Sing a Song of Seasons, and there's a nature poem for every day of the year, but they're illustrated and they're simple. Um, we absolutely love that one. It's a really big book. So the kids love to flip through and see all the pictures on that one. So yeah, just start. Didn't you say that, Renee? Just, just like jump in, like read a poem. You got to start there. Um, but I, I wanted to just, maybe wrap up can I wrap up with our um our kitchen table one um as Karen was talking about um the commonplace things we were kind of chatting through this of how motherhood is a commonplace thing um and I had come across this poem that I absolutely love that has really stirred um, this idea of the beauty of the commonplace and it's called perhaps the world ends here by Dory Harjo, and it goes like this. The world begins at its kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it has been since creation, and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies tease at the corners. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it, we make women. At this table, we gossip, recall enemies and the ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around our children. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves. And we put ourselves back together once again at the table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It is a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table and have prepared our parents for burial here. At this table, we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing and crying, eating of the last sweet bite. Karen, that reminds me when you said perhaps a poem is just a treat. <laughs> so there you go. I that hope you enjoy. I love. That I hope book. you enjoy poetry as a treat, whether you're new or old to it, um, and enjoy your time with your family through just the wonder of and beauty of words. Here's to home.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.